During the grimy 19th century, Brighton served as a breath of fresh air for people needing a getaway from industrial London. Even today, we still say, let's go to the beach and take in the sea air. Coming up in the hour ahead, we'll look at some of the English cities that often get overlooked as tourist destinations. And we'll explore some of the best rural areas, like the classic rolling hills and cozy villages of the Cotswolds, less than two hours from the bustle of London. The Romans decided that it was a fantastic place to live, and you can still find abandoned Roman villas in the woods. Or head north, and just before you reach Scotland, stretch your legs, exploring the great outdoors in Cumbria and the Lake District. And just feeling the peace of the lakes, of the natural disorder, if you like, of the hills, the way the light changes so much, the way the light changes on the, on the water. It's an all-English hour, away from London, on today's Travel with Rick Steves. Stay with us. No one does pastoral countryside quite like the British. Coming up on today's Travel with Rick Steves, guides from England share their favorite parts of the Lake District and the Cotswolds. It used to be, even if you took a color photo, the tough cities of northern England still looked like they were in black and white. Today, many of Britain's former industrial centers are spiffing up and cleaning up and finding new identities in the 21st century. British tour guides Tom Hooper, Liz Boardman, and Mark Seymour join us now for a look at some of the overlooked cities of England that merit a visit. Tom, Liz, Mark, welcome. Thank nice you very much. Pleasure. So, you know, let's make a list. This is kind of like the big review. Everybody sees London. People also see Bath and York. Those are kind of must-see smaller cities. Then it really trails off. First of all, let's collect a few cities that uh, we can be sure to miss, and then let's talk about some cities we want to be sure to hit. I know this is kind of odd, but if you got less than three weeks in Britain, what are a couple of big cities that would not be worth a visit? Not that they're evil, bad towns, but they just don't make it compared to other ones. I think you can find a concentration of those in the north, the old industrial north, places like Leeds. Uh, <laughs> Tom's, Tom's grandmother lives in Leeds. Come on. The, the industrial, it's like in Germany, the Ruhr Valley. Yes, People don't go yes. to Dusseldorf, right? Yes, uh, not known for their uh, beautiful architecture. So, Le- what are the big cities in the industrial north? We got Leeds. Oh, Leeds, um, Preston. Newcastle. Yeah. Birmingham is huge. Birmingham uh, is huge. I think well, Bradford as well. I wouldn't Bradford. make a point of going to Bradford. Okay, so now having said that, before we even talk in, about these cities, just say some of your favorite cities that you're kind of disappointed that more people don't appreciate. Tom. Brighton, definitely, as you mentioned, on Brighton. the coast. All right. Um, some of the smaller ones, including places like Ely, which is only 50 miles from Cambridge. Mm. I really like Chester. And yeah, Mark? I've got a couple, uh, both in the southwest. One is Bristol, a uh, very important city historically, and another one historically important is Plymouth. I'd like to add Liverpool. All right. So who brought up Brighton? I brought up Brighton. What's so good about <laughs> Brighton? Now, that's, the, that's uh, London by the sea. You can go, the the prince went down there and he made his... Uh, Palace, um, 200 years ago, pavilion, back before you could fly to the south of yeah. Spain. So uh, it's a kind of a beach resort on the south coast. What's with Brighton? Well, Brighton is the city that grew up after people decided Bath was not the place to go to. Ah. And then they discovered that sea water was the thing. So Brighton became the place people went to the sea and they were wheeled into the sea. Well, so this was therapeutic. They're in therapeutic. fact, Bath is called Bath because exactly. people went there for the therapeutic yeah. waters. I mean, this water healed the Queen's we, rheumatism. We, exactly. Nobody mm. understood mm. what we think we understand. So you go to Brighton for the seawater, like literally you were wheeled into the sea. And they had the, the pier. The pier is a way to pier, go to sea without yeah. going to sea. And the pier is really good to see because the beach, which is Pebble Beach, 
the pier as a sort of wreck of its 19th century opulence. Yeah. But it's also the place to go and see where the Brits go for days out. It's just kind of like America's Coney Island. It is, just like, yeah. and it's even got a little fun fair at the end so as well. So Liz, if you're going down the pier in Brighton, what would, what would people enjoy? Well, do you know, it's even today we still say, let's go to the beach and take in the sea air. And ah, it's an expression cool. we use just to get healthy mm-hmm. air. Obviously, it was more prominent during so the Industrial Revolution. So you're sitting on the, on the out, you, you take the train down, you walk out on the pier and you're eating your greasy fish and chips and mm. your candy floss, the yeah. British for candy cake. Both at well, the same that's, time. <laughs> <laughs> that's, taking in the air for healthy reasons. Well, that's the only drawback. The sea air gives you an appetite. So oh, okay. it's our excuse to be able to eat the fish and chips and the candy <laughs> floss as well. All right. <laughs> hey, let's go on to another city. Liz, you talked about Chester. Was that I you did. that recommended yes, Chester? It was. First of all, Chester is a very historic town near the north of Wales, but still in England. Just eight miles across the border from North Wales. Uh-huh. And it's one of our walled cities. Records go back. It's been there for about the last 2,000 years. Obviously, mm-hmm. big Roman Im- influence. The only thing I remember about Chester, they break, they have the world's first double-decker shopping mall. <laughs> the old half-timbered well, two-decker well, uh, market. Ro- Rick, yes. Rick, that's the highlight of Chester. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing else to see. Yeah, but I'm a woman, obviously. It's the shops it's the we're thinking of. And it's too, as you said, it's tiered shopping. It, it's tiered called, shopping that goes back to Gothic times. Yes, I mean, it's, it's called medieval. The Rose. We the don't Rose. have it anywhere else within the UK as well. But the, the actual city centre of Chester is still actually on the Roman street plan. Okay. So you have, you have a lot of atmosphere within the town itself. There's so much history you can read in into these towns. And it's just a day to visit. It's even, very even, even more atmosphere with the pubs. Yes. It's got a lot of pubs. So when yes. you say the pubs, your eyes are sort of twinkling as you say that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is it about the pubs of Chester as opposed to the pubs of Brighton or something like that? Well, I think I think Chester has real pubs, wouldn't you say? It, yes, they're not necessarily geared up for... They're, not, they're more atmospheric, yeah, aren't they? They're not, they're they're not geared up for visitors. I think it's yeah. more of the local... Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the local element. Yeah. The local. Yeah. I mean, I was going to think yeah. of the local, what, but no, it's called the local. Mm. Yes, exactly and that. Are these are they owned by chains or are they one-offs? Mi- mixture. A mixture. There is a mixture. In England right now, like in America, I mean, almost the chains are eating up everything. And yeah. what they're mm. very clever about in, in England is they're buying, a chain buys a pub, but they try to disguise the fact that it's a, yeah. a chain. Yeah. Yes. Yes. What, you, what yes. you need to look out for is a free house. Oh, a free house, meaning? You get free beer. No, no. I mean, you, it means it's not tied to a particular brewery, so okay. they have a, a lot of the, the owner is free to choose their free own. Free to choose. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're learning about the best overlooked English cities right now on Travel with Rick Steves. Our British tour guide friends are Liz Boardman, Tom Hooper, Mark Seymour, and they're sharing their tips on which cities outside of London are well worth adding to your travel itinerary. Now, another of you brought up Bristol. Now, I love Bath, and yeah. if you're going to fly to Bath, the nearest airport, I think, is in Bristol. It's Bristol's gate, Bristol's yeah. the port. You could actually, there's a nice bike ride, I think, from Bath to Bristol. On the old Mark, tell track. us about Bristol. Bristol is a vibrant city today, very vibrant city today. It's undergone a little bit of a renaissance in the last 25 years or so. Again, another one of those cities with a marvelous history, medieval, but also more recently in the Georgian period, the 1700s, 1800s. Hmm. It underwent another renaissance then, a lot of tra- overseas trade. Now, overseas Sherry trade goes wine. way back 500 years ago, right? John Cabot oh, yeah. sailed from, mm-hmm. from Absolutely. Bristol. Absolutely, right around the time that uh, that man, Christopher Columbus, was plying mm-hmm. the seas. You mm-hmm. know, there wasn't much difference between you know, That's the same decade, isn't it? Well, John yeah. Cabot was sailing Absolutely. out of Bristol when Columbus was sailing from Spain. And Reader's Logs, his marvelous well, chap. He wasn't, wrote wasn't, logs about Wasn't Bristol connected his, his with the slave trade? Trade. Yes, it certainly was. Yes, it was. And the slave trade, I mean, uh, uh, both in Liverpool, Bristol, and many other ports around the coast of 
written. So we have this triangular system. Let's mm. review yeah. that. Tom, can you explain to Because America was a big player in the mm. slave trade. Africa, by no choice of its own, and England. What was the triangle? The triangle was to take goods from England, anything, really, linen, silverware, you name it, sell that with the money by the humans, sell them to the plantations, and bring a third cargo back to England, creating a triangle. Okay, so Bristol was a big port in its day, a very important port. Very, very important. And one of the lovely things today, part of the vibrant nature of the city today, is the fact that that old port, those old old warehousing districts, have been turned into new recreational areas for shopping, for eating. I love that about England. all over Britain. I was just in Portsmouth. Portsmouth was an old um, uh, naval base, uh, army, uh, navy town. Now the navy is is smaller, a part of the equation, and it's uh, fixed up for all of the tourists. you got the same thing happening in uh, in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go to Liverpool, yeah. you've got that, uh, what is it, Albert Dock area? Yes, yeah. yes. And then, of course, I go to Liverpool to see the Beatles stuff, <laughs> and you can go to John and Paul's home, and you can take the Beatles walk, and you can see Penny Lane and Strawberry yeah. Fields and all of that. And the, the, the tours are quite good, and there's actually a, a legitimate Beatle museum right there, there at is. Uh, yeah. Albert uh, Pier. But let's forget about the Beatles for a moment and just think about emigration. Mm. Uh, Liverpool is yes, from yeah. where Britain left for America. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Powerful museum yeah. there. What are some other thoughts about Liverpool, Liz? I think for me what comes across are the people. There is the quote, isn't there? People make places. But if you come from Liverpool, you're called a Liverpudlian mm-hmm. and also a scouser. Mm-hmm. And obviously, a what? A scouser. scouser. A scouser. Yeah. And what is a scouser? Well, a scouse was a type of stew that actually was brought by the Norwegian immigrants. Ah, okay. And we refer in, in the UK, if someone lives in Liverpool, they're either, either they, they a Liverpudlian or, or they're a Scouser. We, and they sound like the Beatles to me. We, we have some wonderful names like that. We have the Geordies from oh, Newcastle. We have the That's Cockneys, right. of course, from London. And then and the Southwest, you have the Grockles. And the Brums. Yeah. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Cockneys and Brums and Scousers here. <laughs> this is, we're talking with Liz Boardman, Tom Hooper, and Mark Seymour about underrated urban thrills. Our last stop is Plymouth. Who brought up Plymouth and why? I probably did. Plymouth to me, oh, you were just talking about the regeneration of Dockland areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, massive naval seaports throughout history. Um, today, uh, courtesy of our Victorian forefathers, you have a wonderful esplanade, a wonderful seafront overlooking what we call the Hoe, a grassed mm-hmm. area looking over the sea. But you can still walk from there directly down to uh, the old port area, the Barbican where you will find the Pilgrim Steps. Where because your original Pilgrim Plymouth Rock. So the Mayflower right. sailed from, from Plymouth, Plymouth. From yeah. and where they stepped off, they called it's it Plymouth It's still there. Rock. And if you tripped over, you would trip into uh, the oldest gin distillery in the world, where oh they still goodness. brew Plymouth and you, gin. And you may never come out. <laughs> so the Pilgrim Fathers uh, and left all that gin. Probably very happy when they left. <laughs> and uh, the, I think Plymouth, because of its importance with the Royal Navy, was probably targeted by Hitler yeah, in the war. Was, yes, it was. The set, the set to really badly hit. Terrible. Oh my goodness! And there's, there's there's the Francis Drake thing, which as well he's Sir so Francis Drake. I mean, he's, he's the man who invested in that same gin mm. distillery. He uh, is responsible for being there to this day. Now this is so fascinating. We've been talking about Brighton, Chester, Bristol, Plymouth, Liverpool, and when I think about urban Britain, I also think you've got quite a. It seems like in England you've got a striking difference between the north and the south. Let's finish up mm. our discussion. Mm. With just how does the character of the urban settings change from the north and the south, would you say, Liz? There is a very typical, stereotypical thing. It's tough in the north. Mm -hmm. This is what people in the UK tend to say, that they call the people who live in the south southern softies. 
Ah. And to live in the north, you need to be a hard person because it's quite grim and it's dark and it's a harder way of life. Now, that is very, very That's stereotypical. Stereotypical, but if you go to Blackpool, which is the traditional holiday zone it. of the north, yeah. you'd feel yes. it. You genuinely yeah. would see it. And if it. you go to Bath, Exactly. Yeah. You yeah. feel the softies. Yes, yes. Mm. you'd Very be a much. southern softie. Fascinating. Any other thoughts on that? That is also a reflect, I think, in the buildings, you see. Mm. If you go to Manchester, which breaks its history on the Industrial Revolution, the new money from the Industrial Revolution gives this huge monumental building program, and they are so different to the buildings of the South, mm. which are much more comfortable. I think also that in the language, um, we're known for having strong accents in Britain, but uh, we would say, for instance, in the South, in London, the streets are paved with gold. In the North, where there's muck, there's brass. Where there's muck, there's, there's brass. muck, there's yeah. brass. You know, very, very different, but the outlook on That's life is very different. That's a different, more hard and realistic yes. outlook. You've got to yes. work hard, life is tough, Absolutely. and maybe you'll get by and your kids will have a better life than you did. Yeah. And yeah. move south. And move oh. south. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Or not. <laughs> this is Travel with Rick Steves, and on that note, I'm going to thank Mark Seymour, Liz Boardman, and Tom Hooper for giving us a better understanding and appreciation of urban Britain. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> In just a bit, we head for the hills of the Cotswolds after we enjoy the quiet landscapes that inspired William Wordsworth and Beatrix Potter. It's England's Lake District. We explore the beauty of the English countryside next on Travel with Rick Steves. We're at 877-333-7425. As a professional tour guide, Yorick Harker gets to enjoy showing visitors the great sights of Britain and Europe. But when he's done with the busy schedule of his tours... He takes refuge in the wilds of his home turf in the far northwest corner of England. Yorick joins us now on Travel with Rick Steves to tell us what makes the Lake District in Cumbria so special to him. He takes your calls in just a bit at 877-333-RICK to help you enjoy it too. Yorick, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks very much. Now you lead people all over Europe. Do you take people around the Lake District? No, it's uh, quite ironic. For the most part, I choose not to work there. It's nice to show it off once in a while, and um, there are some people who I do take through it. But you're basically, that's your... um, your, I'm very selfish. Your private Uh, little domain. That's my little cave that once I've come back from my travels, the nice thing is I am spoiled as a guide. I get to see the most beautiful places around the world. But every time I come back, there's a smile on my face. When I come around the corner, start to see the hills again. Mm. Every time I come back... I'm happy to be home. So uh, now this is nice. Cumbria, and yes. uh, and exactly where is that in England? Yeah, it can be overlooked. Um, it's in the northwest of the country, and when I say it's near Scotland, people always ask, "Oh, it's in Scotland." I'm like, "It's just below right. uh, the Scottish border." If you imagine Hadrian's Wall, uh, so the northwest, but it can get tucked away. And I actually, uh, as a joke, sort of lightheartedly call it the island because it's it can be forgotten about. It's surrounded on one side by the sea, you have the mountains, and then you have Scotland above it. And it is quite insular, it's nice, it's the thing I like about it. Some of the most beautiful places happen to be um, overlooked by the infrastructure, which keeps the, the hustle and the bustle of the modern world away. You have to kind of earn it. There's not a convenient airport nearby, 
Uh, you've got the motorway that slips straight through up into Scotland, mm-hmm. but you got to get off the big road and, and get into the Cumbrian Lake District. Do we call it the Cumbrian Lake District? Is that the, the term for the region? Generally, it's just called the lakes. The if, lakes. If people ask me, where do you live? I would definitely just say the lakes. And in England, when you if you're in London and somebody says, hey, York, where do you live? You say the lakes. What do English people think of, of the lakes? What is the image of that to them? I don't know about their own image, but every single person says, you're so lucky. So... They must have some positive image. Why would you be lucky to live in the lakes? It's strange. Um, I was passing through myself, and it was about 16 years ago, and I definitely got stuck there. Hmm. And my feeling was, what a great place to bring up my daughter. Hmm. Beatrix Potter is one of the images, Peter Hmm. Rabbit. That's the way I... So if you think of Peter Rabbit and Beatrix Potter, and you think of parenting, Uh what a delight. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Yarick Harker about the Lake District in Cumbria. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Mary Jane's calling in from Santa Inez in California. Mary Jane, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. Hey, I was really excited to hear you talking about the Lake District. It's an area that I've always been fascinated with. I've heard that there's a quaint little town in the Lake District called Hawkshead. And uh, I'm wondering if your guest could tell me a little bit about the area. I know that Beatrix Potter had her estate there. A great starting point for Beatrix Potter is the film Rennie Zellweger, Miss Potter, and that's filmed in that area, and it looks at her farm and how she came to govern that area and preserve the area. Uh, Hawkshead itself is sort of central to that, and I would definitely advise going up either to Hilltop, the farm. It's strange. It's not a big sightseeing place, but if you know the books, a thing that I got a massive buzz from, Samuel Whiskers. So read the book. I'll take it up with you. Um, you've got the garden that you can go through. It's very sort of Mr. McGregor-like. And you actually have the mouse hole, if you like, that uh, Samuel Whiskers have disappeared through. And so if you're a fan of the Beatrix you, Potter you know stories, it, it's all there. You think you are in there. that story. It's amazing. This cottage is like an exaggeration of cute, surrounded by a quintessential English garden. So rough, but so beautiful. And further to that, I would really advise getting a, a National Trust card because she help to instigate that operation. Oh, that's good. So part and of your Beatrix Potter pilgrimage would be to support what she supported, which completely. was appreciating nature and, and the heritage. Or selfishly for yourself, you'll save a lot on parking because they own a lot of the car parks. So you save money that way, and then they've got these entrances into the hills. Now, Beatrix Potter was a, an amazing artist. Isn't that gallery in, in Hawkshead? Yeah, and also if you go to the visitor center in Windermere, I was able to go there on a tour this year, and they have... Not a Madame Two Swords, but they have the big characterizations of all her characters. All right. Um, so that's a, that's a good place to visit. If I want to know a little bit more about Hawkshead, uh, the town, yes. do I contact the Windermere Community Center? Yeah, that's a good way of doing it. It's just, it, it is a small town, and it is predominantly now set up for tourism. There's also... Um, it's quite touristy for Beatrix Potter fans. There's a Wordsworth connection as well with her to say he went to the grammar school there. Ah. The best way, if you want to make a day trip, is just to go on the little ferry over. That links in with getting over to Hawkshead. From Windermere. Yeah, and definitely. It's a little harder to get up to Hilltop. It's quite a narrow road, but it's, it's worth doing. Don't be, don't be scared of the stone walls or the, the rock walls, and uh, take a trip up to Hilltop. So basically, Mary Jane, two things if you're a Beatrix Potter fan. Go to the Hilltop Farm, yeah, and then go to Hawkshead. And in Hawkshead is the gallery, I think it was the shop of her husband or something like this. And upstairs there's That's all right. this That's amazing right. art that she did. And 
I just gained so much respect for her when I heard of her commitment to the heritage and the nature, and then I saw her work as an artist beyond, you know, how we all know and love Beatrix Parter. Thanks for your call, Mary Jane. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Tour guide York Harkers, our guide leading us into the wilds of England's Lake District, up by the border of Scotland, right now on Travel with Rick Steves. York, Beatrix Potter is in the Windermere area, and to me that's in the south, and then there is the north, which centers around Keswick. Mm -hmm. I think most travelers have to choose one or the other just Mm -hmm. because we have limited time. If you were to advise somebody planning a trip to the Lake District, how would you characterize the south as opposed to the north? So the north really is the quieter place. It's why we ended up there, myself and my, uh, my dad. And that's because he was attracted to the quieter areas, say like Buttermere. They are mm-hmm. getting more popular now. Um, one road to link them, I would advise going from Ambleside, Windermere, and up through the hills. It's a gorgeous road. Definitely. Actually, almost every road is gorgeous in, in Cumbria, <laughs> but that is a particularly but, gorgeous. And you mentioned Wordsworth was inspired up in uh, Buttermere. and Yeah, it's and, on the way. If you take up the road through Rydal Mount, mm-hmm. so there's the, uh, the Wordsworth on the hill, then there's the center just before you get to Grasmere. It's a beautiful area. Of course, Wordsworth is the great romantic poet. In, in a lot of ways, he established this sort of wonderment of, of getting into nature, and, and he uh-huh. would commune with nature, and he would write about it. To this day, it seems to me, English people go to commune with nature, sort of in echoing the spirit uh, of Wordsworth. It almost made a, a religion out of appreciating nature. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of the poet uh, William Wordsworth? Yeah, the irony is he didn't like tourists, and he was berating them uh, you know, quite a few hundred years ago now, <laughs> and how that uh, the lakes was changing, and uh, he didn't like some of the features that were being sort of preserved. Even in his day, in he, his he day, saw yeah, the like influx the, of the, tourists. He didn't like the whitewashed colleges. He uh, right. complained about the, the masses coming up from the industrial zones. Right. But I think he'd been influenced by going to France and hoping to see revolution change things, but actually not liking the disorder and coming back and just feeling the peace of the lakes, of the, the natural disorder, if you like, of the hills, the way the light changes so much, the way the light changes on the, on the water. They're not a huge high mountain range. They're not like the Rockies or British Columbia or the French Alps. I find them a very human scale. And I think that's what he was attracted to. And the things I really love about the lakes are the changes through the year, the seasons. So the poet Wordsworth was inspired, as we are today, and his poetry helped uh, remind us of the wonder of the Lake District. And the great poet William Wordsworth lived in the late 1700s. Correct. And uh, he's got two important sites. There's Dove Cottage, and that's the the humble home where he did a lot of his work. And then he got more wealthy, and he moved into more of a, a much nicer house uh, with a view of the lake. What is that? Rydal Mount. Correct. And the garden there is is really nice. The people who, who run that are very, very friendly people. They'll give you a visit. It's actually still owned by his family, so there's some public areas. I recommend uh, going there. Some of the famous visitors include uh, Thomas de Quincey. He's a great travel writer. And the gardens there, they're mm. manned by volunteers that give a beautiful view onto <sighs> the lake. And you could, if you've never been poetic in nature... You'll get it there. You'll get it there. Definitely. Bring a notepad. Try, try writing a poem inspired by, by the clouds and, and the birds and the, and the I distance. do encourage people just to take a book... There was Coleridge as well, lots of contemporaries who were also inspired, lots of artists, Turner as well. I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high o'er vales and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze, continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way. 
They stretched in never-ending line along the margin of a bay. This is Travel with Rick Steves. I'm joined by York Harker, who lives in the Lake District. We're talking about England's Cumbria Lake District, up in the north of England, where the English go to be inspired by nature. I've been going to the Lake District with tour groups for about 30 years, and all along I've been impressed by the wonderful youth hostels. In fact, many of the old resort hotels of the Romantic Age have now become youth hostels. And you've got, I think, more youth hostels per square mile there than anywhere. A reminder that to this day, the British love to go to the Lake District and and get out and walk. And uh, we were mentioning you have to make a choice, the North or the South. I agree with you. The North is where you have less tourism and uh, a little easier access to the wonders of nature. The town of Keswick would be a good home base. If you were to make Keswick a home base, easy to get there, uh, a bus connection from the nearest train station at Penrith, I believe. Correct. And then you have plenty of great B&Bs, wonderful pubs. Everybody's back in town after a beautiful hike, and there's that, that buzz about, wow, it's just been turned on by nature. What are some of the highlights around Keswick that you would want to do with your uh, precious vacation time as you experience North Lakes? I would go onto the water. There's... Uh a nice, um, not so much a, a large ferry, but a little steam. We're talking ferry. Derwent water. So in Correct, in, yes. in, in Cumbrian jargon, you don't say Lake Derwent water. It would be just Derwent no. In fact, water. there's only one lake in the lakes. That's uh, Bassenthwaite. Is that right? Yeah. All the rest uh, comes from the Viking uh, names. You They're, call them uh, waters. Yeah, or uh, mirrors. A mere is a strait, a passage of water, which is a so continuum through the valley. So Windermere would Windermere, be, correct. you wouldn't say Lake Windermere. Correct. And Allswater, correct. Derwent Water. Cremig Water, Buttermere. And so on. Okay, so, so on. Derwent Water, that's the, the lake where you find the town of Keswick. I Kessick. think it's the quintessential sort of image. And from Derwent Water, you've got this wonderful little, just a lazy boat, and it goes from little landing to landing around the lakes. And uh, you were mentioning how there's so many small peaks all around that are quite nice because it gives anybody this opportunity to have that conquering a mountain, 360-degree yes. yes. uh, view. My favorite hike is uh, up to Catbells. Have you been to the top of Catbells? Uh, I have. Tell, I did tell a, me about a, that I one. did a link for four days. I had a bit of time off, and I linked up the whole top of the lakes. I'm a bit of a, a caveman. I slept uh, just in uh, in a small bivy bag. But, um, yeah, the youth fossils are great. You can use those. But this, um, this one particular ridge, uh, it gives you it's just a, a great... Just in microcosm, I think, of the lakes, that image of everything. You can get up. You're not massively high. You can be up there in, in an hour or so. It's not uh, severe. As long as you take precaution, good shoes, check the weather. And I would remind people a, that, you know, just because it's not sunny, you shouldn't stay in the, in the B&B because weather changes five or six times a day. You do have to adapt your plans, but don't focus too much on even the weather forecast as such. Take precautions. Mm-hmm. Advise yourself. But you can be in one valley, it'll be dry. The next valley, it might be wet. So my theory is always adapt your programs and don't stick resolutely. If you are going out and saying you have to do this hill, if the weather comes in, there's so many alternatives. You can go in the forest. There's really nice trails on the lake, general strolling. Or if you want something more severe, you'll find it. There's some classic rock climbs. There's a great history of rock climbing, which started on the lakes in the golden age of, of mountaineering. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and we're talking about the Lake District in the north of England. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And William's calling in from Fort Worth in Texas. William, thanks for your call. Thanks for for taking me on as a caller. You bet. I have an interesting situation. My son and I are going to England this summer. We're going to go to London for several days, and then we would also like to go to the Lake District. And there's a third catch to it, in that we are going to take uh, a steam train ride. Our thought would be that we would take the steam train ride to and from Crewe and then go from Crewe 
either by driving or by train to the Northern Lake District. I'm wondering how many days minimum you would suggest that it would take to do a side trip. Is that something that's doable and seeing, spending a couple of days in the Lake District? And if so, how many days and how would we get from crew to the Lake District? Okay, that's a big one. Um, I'm jealous. The steam train would be great. The nicest line is from Leeds, the Settle Carlisle line. I think they do lots of steam routes. It's beautiful. It goes through the Dales. It's another Viking word. It means uh, the valleys, like uh, Dala. And then from Carlisle, you can come down on the train or a bus. We'll get you to the northern lakes. So that's one way of doing it. And there's also actually a small train in the lakes. It's called uh, Little Ratty, Lyle Ratty, which is a steam train as well. It's it's a smaller gauge one. Where does that go? That goes from the right, from the westernmost uh, lakes around Waswater and the highest hills like the Scarfell uh-huh. and so on. And William, when you do get frustrated with uh, train lines, there's reasonable bus service that can take you from town to town quite easily. Great. And then the other question would be, what about driving? Is it, is uh-huh. it a tough drive for someone who's had to drive on the left side of the road yeah, for probably so. the first time in his life? Or is, this, is it a nice drive to, to Keswick? Yeah, the motorway, the first part is like in an interstate, it's just three, four-lane uh, highway. Yeah, don't be put off by being on the other side, really. You'll you'll soon get used to it, just normal precaution at junctions, and don't be put off by the narrowness. There's a classic road. If you like a bit of history, you like the nature, then go from something like Ambleside to Waswater. It's over the Rhinos Pass. There's a Roman fort. Oh, yes. It's narrow. I had a, I call it my Miss Daisy tour, my driving Miss Daisy tour, and the lady I was driving, she was practically in my lap at one stage. She couldn't believe it. But just take your time. It does wind around. It is two ways, and there are sheep on the road. So there's pullouts. But, when, it's, when it's a one-lane road, yes. that's two ways. There'll be yes. pullouts every 100 yards or so, William. And do invest in a very good map locally, I yes. think. It's important to have yes. a good map because then you know all the tiny little roads that can take you to, for instance, above Keswick, there's a famous little bridge, a stone bridge, and then there's the surprise view over Derwentwater. yes. Talk about that, if you could, Yorick. Because if you don't have a good map, you wouldn't know about this little road that goes to the... No, it's um, the surprise point. view. Um, what's in laugh? I think that's what I would encourage generally in travel or all over the world when I travel with people is... Don't be afraid. Take precautions, if you like, in, in cities. But in the lakes, it's a very safe place. People are very, very friendly. I call it insular, but it's a nice way as well. Just follow a road. You won't get into danger. The most such. dangerous thing about driving is looking at the scenery as you're driving. Completely. Stop yeah, the your, car. Yeah, your passengers can have a good time. Stop the car and get um, out. Stop the car every 15 minutes and get out definitely. if you're driving. Because and, uh, and don't do it when it's my month off during the year. When it's what? <laughs> when it's your month off? When it's my month of the year off. I don't want to be stuck behind a tourist. There's a, yeah, that's one thing you've got to remember. On a sunny weekend in the summer, there'll be a lot of people who are enjoying uh, the scenic drives. Also, one thing I want to stress is there are gorgeous B&Bs that are in the countryside, farmhouse B&Bs that give you an amazing traditional experience. You come into the towns, and there's this wonderful culture of hikers. For instance, in Keswick, there's a pub called the Dog and uh, Dog and, and Hound, the Dog and Hound, or something like this, and it's it's designed for people with dogs. And I, pe- I would say not to deter people from Keswick, but for me, just go a little further from Keswick, such as towards Cockermouth. Uh huh. Okay, there's some great family-run places there. It's not you know lots of mom and pop. It's not Starbucks or Costa Coffee or whatever. Right. And people, because it is this small community, it's word of mouth. They know about the good quality. The servings are good. They're not serving tourists week in, week out, so they're going to give you good value because people will talk. 
You can take your dog in. I love it if you don't have your dog with you. It's perfect. You've got, a, you've got dogs it's, there. You can pet. Stone I love floors. having dogs in a pub. In the United the States, works. you can't have dogs in a restaurant. In England, it just seems the right way. At your feet, you, there's, even, a, um, a, there's a nice dog. William, thanks for your call. Well, thank you. Okay. Our guide, Yorick Harker, is telling us how the Lake District of Northern England is a nature lover's paradise. Although the weather may require you to put on your wellies and an anorak. We'll also look at the legendary charm of the Cotswolds in just a bit from a guide who calls that region home. There's more with Yorick on touring the Lake District in just a minute on Travel with Rick Steves. Hello, my name is Barry Maloney from County Cork on the south coast of Ireland. I've got one about uh, Irish, Scottish, English. Mm-hmm. It's a quote by George Orwell. kind of sums it up. He said, the English are not happy unless they're miserable. The Irish are not at peace unless they're at war. And the Scots are not at home unless they're abroad. Boy, that's thought-provoking. So There's some truth to that. (laughs) Barry, did you have another one? The common question is, what's the English impression of the Irish? Yeah. And they always look at us with a kind of a bit of a puzzlement, you know? Winston Churchill summed that up. He said, we have always found the Irish a bit odd. They refuse to be English. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. We head for the Cotswolds in western England in just a bit. Right now on Travel with Rick Steves, tour guide Yorick Harker is telling us why his home region of the Lake District in the northwest of England is always a welcome sight to return to. Yorick, I love with a car to get out and just, you know, pull out the map, talk it over with my uh, B&B host. These people who run B&Bs are so evangelical about the Lake District and they want to loan you a map, the loan you a parka, you know, they can get you all set up and you can review your route with them just for the fun of it. I love driving down Newlands Valley and then over yeah. Honister Pass. Can you talk a little bit about that loop that we might make from Keswick? Mm-hmm. And even, you said the coat, uh, I've had people I know staying in guest houses who they've loaned, uh, well, we call them wellies, Wellington boots. Yeah. I borrow really the gear nice when it's, when it's uh, if what do you call uh, it, soft weather, or if the weather's not quite as nice as you like it. It's not quite rainy, but it's still wet. Yeah, yeah and there are these, uh, these shows. So if you're going to go through the Newlands, take uh, Miss Tiggywinkle, the uh, British Potter book. Because oh, yeah. you based it there, the farmhouse looks exactly like. I didn't know that when Mrs. Uh, Tiggywinkle uh, was doing the washing there, and uh-huh. she scooted up the hill. Perfect. It's one of the few uh, valleys without a lake, so it's quite unusual for that. Historically, uh, there's old copper mines. It's, uh, many Germans moved to these copper mines to work them and stayed behind. You go up this uh, hill. There used to be the, an old place called the Scooby Doo House. It's like an old wooden house, but it's been converted now. And again, it, it might be narrow, but don't worry about it. Okay. Just take your time. And uh, the gears, just again, if you guys um, coming over, you're not too used to the manual shift, might be quite interesting for you. Yeah, it's hard to so, get an automatic. Uh, in so Britain, use yeah. the low gears. Yeah. And uh, you come over to Honister. Yeah. Or you'll drop down into the Buttermere Valley. And that's the um, sweetest lake, Buttermere. It is actually. I mean, I'm a little thinking, like, should I tell people about this? But come down, there's two beautiful pubs. Again, one is more for hikers, it might be a hiker's room. And then one for, you might just be in casual clothes or mm-hmm. smartly dressed. There's a little farm to the side which has uh, its own dairy, produces amazing ice cream and a uh, nice coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Um, so a this is the little hamlet uh, at, the, at the end down. of Buttermere. Correct. And yeah. then you might want to just take it further up Buttermere and climb the steepest pass. If you're into cycling, it's a challenge. The Tour of Britain cycle race came through there last year. This it's is Honester. Uh, Honester Pass, excuse me. And if you're sort of um, looking for a little adventure, but you don't want to do anything that might be get you uncomfortable, 
Honister Pass is probably it. I mean, go for that, and you, that's plenty of thrills for the, the typical tourist driver. It and is. at the top of that, you've got a, an amazing slate binder tour. There is, and the man that he developed it, he's opened it up, uh, something that Rick might like, is a Via Ferrata. Is that right? Oh, yes. There's a Via Ferrata. A Via Ferrata. That's and an iron cable. There's someone we're very, very guilty at the moment. We haven't mentioned uh, Wainwright. You cannot talk about the lakes without Wainwright. And uh, his ashes were scattered up just belong from the past uh, as you approach the Red Pike. Wayne Wayne White, White, Wayne White's Wayne an incredible was, writer. Tell why he's, he's a household word among uh, hikers in yeah, England. He's just the legend. He is the man of the lakes. And he not only would, quite a, a grumpy individual, but a, a soloist who would go through the hills to escape the industrial areas of the northwest and just take weekends and eventually develop long-distance walks. The most beautiful one is coast-to-coast walk, which I've done myself. So do I understand he, he sort of mapped out the peaks and climbed all of them, and now people try to climb what they call the Wainwrights? They're even called the Wainwrights now, yeah, uh, mountains over a certain height. And he didn't draw what we might call a standard big fold-out map. He would just sketch an area. But they've discovered that by putting all the maps together now with technology, that they are pretty much 100% accurate, not entirely but he would describe intricate details, crossing a wall, a waterfall, a stream. And do you remember how high a, a peak needs to be to be a, quote, Wainwright? I think it's like... I think it's 2,000 feet. 2,000 feet yeah. or 3,000 feet or something. And, you know, by... It's, it's by, not a Monroe. A Monroe is 3,000 feet. Oh, is that Scotland. right? Oh, that's, okay. That's a higher, but I think the Wainwright's 2,000 feet. So the point so they're is... Doable. They're, they're doable. They're doable, yeah. definitely. And there's charts you can get to tick off when you've done each one, mm-hmm. and... Something to they're, brag they're, about in the pub. They're beautiful. Bo- yeah, definitely. They're just beautiful books. They're small as well. They're smaller than what we would say A5. They'll fit in your backpack, uh, like a waterproof cover, and mm-hmm. you can just sit with them in the evening and read them. He's anecdotal. He, he, like I say, sometimes he's grumpy. He'll talk about, you know, he doesn't like this, he doesn't like that. He, he would go out on the hills on his own. So um, he's, the, he's the guru of the oh, lakes for any They're fascinating hiker. books. They're fascinating. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Yorick Harker and we're talking about England's Lake District. York, there are so many particular sites and peaks to climb and and scenic drives, but if you just want to enjoy what the Lake District can bring to a harried urbanite who's looking for an escape, how would you go to the Lake District and enjoy what that district has to offer? What's one experience you might share? Yeah, just find, find a place, and it might be off the beaten track, and just to let things unwind from you just to sit and relax. It could be in the middle of a lake, sat on a, a kayak that you've maybe hired, or on the little steamer boat that goes across the water, or some of the smaller hills, which aren't so high, but like the Victorians would go to Melbreck, Latrig, Cap Bells. You don't have to be doing 3,000-foot mountains and just taking it all in. So just that idea, taking it all in. And as you were going through your list of ways to do that, three resonated with me. Sitting on the bench in front of the farmhouse B&B in Newlands Valley, looking out at Catbells, being on top of Catbells, enjoying that easy, private, 360-degree view, or being in the middle of a lake, all alone in your little boat, taking in 360 degrees of Lake District wonder. Definitely. Ah, oh, it sounds great. Yorick Harker, thanks so much. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you. I'll see you in the lakes. Definitely. I like a nice cup of tea in the morning For to start the day, you see And at half past eleven Well, my idea of heaven is a nice cup of tea 
We'll close today's travel with Rick Steves with a look at a region that's actually an easy weekend getaway from London. The Cotswolds have a reputation for a cozy countryside, with rolling hills dotted with sheep and the sort of thatched roof, half-timbered charm you're probably picturing right now. You might also be tempted to call the Cotswolds a little quirky when you see the locals practice such unusual sports as cheese rolling and shin kicking. Tour guide Lorraine Deneen makes her home in the Cotswolds and joins us right now for a look at what sets it apart from the rest of England's beautiful countryside. Lorraine, it's good to have you with us. It's a real pleasure to be here, Rick. So, Lorraine, the Cotswolds are so famous. How do you define the Cotswolds? Is it a region? Is it a collection of towns? What are the Cotswolds? The Cotswolds, well, the name comes from the sheep that graze there. They were kept in cots, sheep pens, and Wolds is the name for rolling hills. So So the rolling hills with the sheep's pens. That's where the name comes from, yes. It's about two hours west of London, isn't it? Yeah, two hours west, northwest of London. Um, Probably less than that these days because of the new roads that have gone in over the past couple of decades. But it seems to me that a lot of these places are are so characteristic because maybe until recently they've been hard to get to, sort of cut off from the motorways, cut off from the big train lines. What is it about the Cotswolds where they're they're just so well-preserved? Well, you're absolutely right. It is difficult to access some of these villages, and it's worthwhile spending a bit of time to drive down the lanes to find some of these places. They have now become quite desirable places to live, and part of their charm is the fact that they are difficult to get to. But if you work in London all week, it's perfect to drive on a Friday night out to the Cotswolds and just escape the big city. So that is the place to go for a little peace and quiet if you're into the London rat race, then? I'm afraid so, yes. Afraid so. There's probably a lot of very wealthy Londoners that are uh, deciding to retire out there and driving up the price of real estate. That is one problem for the locals, very much so. The price of property in the Cotswolds is much higher than it is in other places. Now, you mentioned that it was the the pens for the sheep on the rolling hills that gives the name uh, Cotswolds to the region. I'm struck by the beautiful architecture When you go to the Cotswolds, the houses, the churches, it makes it feel like there's a lot of wealth in this region. Where does that wealth come from originally? Well, it is a very wealthy region. It's always been a wealthy region. The wealth comes from sheep, basically. Hmm. The whole of the British Empire was built on the backs of sheep. They provided the wealth. Um, In the Middle Ages, it was the monks that owned the monasteries, that owned the land, that owned the sheep, and wool was exported as far as it possibly could be in the Middle Ages. It was exported to North Africa, and it was used for cloth. And sad to say, all that wealth disappeared when cotton was discovered. So we probably have the United States, amongst other places, to blame for losing all that wealth. Isn't that interesting? So the Cotswolds were so wealthy because of the wool provided by the sheep, where they had the money to build the great churches and the wonderful manor houses, and then suddenly... Cotton steals the economic show, and the region of the Cotswolds just goes into a huge depression, and that would actually mothball the place until rediscovered in modern times. That's absolutely right, and you're right to say mothballed. So you've got all these beautiful, we call them wool churches, that were built from the money from the wool that was sold, and all those magnificent manor houses, they went into a decline, really, and it was only sort of the back half of the 19th century, early 20th century, 
when people with money realised they could escape to this beautiful area, that it started to rebuild. But you can still find ruins in the Cotswolds. If you get off the beaten track, you can still find ruined farms, ruined sheep pens, places that woods have grown over. The Romans, actually, the Romans decided that it was a fantastic place to live. And you can still find abandoned Roman villas in the woods. There's one very close to where I live. I'm struck when I travel around the Cotswolds that there must be careful government regulations because you you go into the main part of a town and it's all homogenous. It's all beautiful stone. Everything seems to be preserved. Is it preserved by the government or is that just sort of a coincidence? No, it's preserved by the local government. There are strict planning laws, so you can't do anything really. You can't change a window in a lot of places without getting permission. Okay, so that's not accidental. You come into a town and it's like a movie set. Yeah. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Lorraine Deneen about her home region in England, the Cotswolds Villages. It's a rural area with beautiful thatched cottages, half-timbered cottages, wonderful pubs, beautiful walks, and to this day, lots of sheep. Lorraine, when we're in the Cotswolds, People know about Stowe on the Wold and Chipping Campton and Broadway and Borton on the Water. These are sort of the famous places that have, it's almost like they've got their own promotional budgets and everybody thinks about that. As a resident of the area who sees these floods of tourists coming in and all these tour buses going to the same places, can you help us uh, find some places that are less discovered and maybe we can send a little bit of the traffic that way? What's an offbeat part of the Cotswolds that you would recommend checking out if you want to avoid the crowds? Well, you could certainly come to the town where I live, Winchcombe, which is still chocolate box, but it's a working town. It's got proper shops. It does get slightly busier in the summer, but we can cope with those sorts of volumes. Chocolate box. Chocolate That's a nice box. phrase. I haven't heard that before. What does that mean? Um, oh, chocolate box. It means it's the sort of place you can photograph and put on the front of a box of chocolates, basically. Perfect. So Winchcombe, yes. uh, North Leach is another one that doesn't North have Leech. much tourism. Yeah, that's that's not far from us either. Mm-hmm. North Leach has got a couple of interesting places. It's got a superb wool church, magnificent wool church. Mm-hmm. It's got a museum of mechanical music, which is amazing. Now, a wool church, again, that would be a church that is really probably oversized for its town and built on sheep's wool riches. So back in the glory days of the Cotswold, this would have been built by the sheep barons of the region? Absolutely. Massive churches that, as you say, are far too big for where they are. Mm-hmm. Gothic pillars, lots of decoration. Huge fancy tombs for people who used to have a huge fancy sheep farms, I would imagine. Absolutely. And lots of gargoyles outside. <laughs> When I'm in the in the Cotswolds, uh, I'm always sort of intrigued by some traditional slices of the culture beyond just the traditional buildings and the cute towns. Uh, you've got different sort of sports in the area, and I don't know if people still do it, but they used to have these gatherings. And can you talk a little bit about some of the goofy sports of the Cotswolds? Yeah, well, above Chipping Camden, there's a place called Dover's Hill. A guy called Thomas Dover decided he was going to have what he called Olympic Games back in 1612, and they devised sports to have at these Olympic Games, sports like wheelbarrow racing, wife-carrying, and shin-kicking. Wife-carrying? Wife-carrying, I know. And shin-kicking. What's your understanding of wife-carrying? You had to be able to pick up your wife, throw her across your shoulder, 
and carrier for uh, as far as you could, basically. So if you had a very small wife, you'd have an, an advantage. You did have an advantage. I don't believe there was any handicapping. <laughs> are any of them, could you see anything like this? Or, or where, what would a vestige of that kind of tradition be in the Cotswolds today? Well, they still hold the Olympic Games at Chipping Camden on Dover's Hill. Oh, do they? And you can still see shin kicking. Now, what is shin kicking? Well, It yeah. sounds painful. Well, it is. You have to grab each other by the shoulders. Two people face each other, grab each other by the shoulders and attempt to kick each other's shins. It's actually bloody? It can get bloody, but you have to stuff straw down your socks to prevent getting too hurt. Oh, my goodness. Now, at a, at a gathering like this, I would imagine there would be some Morris dancers. Yes, there's always Morris dancers. Tell me about these Morris dancers. Um, it's a tradition that goes back to before the Middle Ages, and they wear elaborate costumes. They wear clogs on their feet, and they wear bells around their ankles, and they carry sticks. And they dance kind of colourful and frilly and tassels. And... Yes, it's all a bit feminine. Yeah. And they sing songs and clap their hands and bang their sticks together, and everybody has a jolly time. You can still see lots of Morris dancing across the country. It's very popular. Well, where does it come from? What's the or origins of these Morris dancers? It comes from the fairs that they used to hold, often when the harvest was in or in the spring to celebrate the new growth coming through. Are they like medieval troubadours? Did they have a message? Was there a lyric? Was there poetry? Or was it just the gaiety of, of colorfully dressed men prancing around together? They often tell stories through song, so they sing their stories. Okay. And a lot of the songs are, are quite well known, and they sing them around the country. So this is a tradition that goes way, way back, and it survives to this day. It does survive to this day, yes. Our guide to the English Cotswolds region is locally-based tour guide Lorraine Deneen. We have a link to her Twitter posts from her tours on our website at ricksteves.com slash radio. Lorraine, if you were to just give one piece of advice for a visitor going out to this delightful corner of England, what might you advise? I would advise them to get into a local pub and talk to the locals, because the locals will tell them the best places to go. The locals will tell them where these festivals are going on and where these activities are happening. They've got to talk to the locals, and the best place to do that is in the pub. And don't be afraid. Just go up to the bar, get yourself a pint, and start chatting. My understanding in a pub is if you sit at a table, that's fine and dandy, but if you really want to connect with people, sit at the stool at the bar. Yeah, go to the bar because you'll always find the locals there propping the bar up. And I've been in the most touristy town in the Cotswold Villages, and I still, if I go to the pub and sit at the bar, I don't meet tourists. I meet fascinating, eccentric, talkative, fun-loving locals, and that's a big part of my joy of exploring the Cotswolds. Lorraine Deneen, thanks so much for sharing your insight into your corner of the British Isles. Thanks very much, Rick. Travel with Rick Steves is produced at Rick Steves Europe in Edmonds, Washington by Tim Tatton with Isaac Captain Wilner and Sarah McCormick. Our website is managed by Andrew Wakeling and our theme music is by Jerry Frank. We get promotional support from Sheila Gerzoff. 
Rick produces updated walking tours to many of Europe's most popular destinations. You'll find the latest ones in Rick's Audio Europe travel app. Look for it at ricksteves.com radio. Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take thousands of free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Europe, one small group at a time. This year, you can choose from more than 40 different vacations in Europe's best destinations, from Ireland to Greece and practically everywhere in between. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.